But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that all God's people may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Awesome. Thank you. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful. I wonder if you have books that you read more than you read other books. I do. But all scripture, we're told here, is God-breathed. So let's get to know some of the bits of the Bible which you maybe don't know quite so well. Some of the structure. I'm going to need some volunteers. This is our Bible library. We use this in Young Church all the time. I made it a few years ago, and it's um, a really useful resource. Right, so I need some. Vo- I'm going to need a bunch of volunteers. Yeah, you can come first, and then you can come back. Right, you hold those. Hold them up. First five books of the Bible: the Torah, or the Pentateuch, which means five books. Um, and they are Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Hold them there. Great. Second lot of books. You've got quite a lot to hold. History books. Right, stand next to him. So you're in the right order. And then there. Perfect. You got them? Joshua, Judges, Ruth. 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings. They were originally one book. We split them into four. Um, 1, 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. Worth knowing. Uh, Turn around so we can see them. Right, so you've got... If you look at Deuteronomy, the fifth book, Joshua, Judges, not Ruth, 1, 2 Samuel, and 1, 2 Kings. That's what's called the Deuteronomistic history. If you want to get a kind of crash course on how the rest of the Old Testament works, read those books. Because together with Ezra and Nehemiah, they basically give you the plot of the Old Testament. Everything else is filling in gaps, repeating stuff, or stuff which is happening at the same time as other things. But that will give you the outline. So Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, books of Samuel and Kings. And Ezra and Nehemiah will finish the story for you. Hot tip. Right, who's next? Someone else? Just come up. The books of poetry and wisdom, a fascinating collection, including Job, which is kind of a play about why bad things happen to good people, Uh, a bunch of songs, a bunch of kind of wise sayings, Um, Song of Solomon, which is, um, there's no easy way of saying this, an erotic poem. Um, Also, fun fact, Song of Solomon and Esther, only two books of the Bible to not mention the word God anywhere in them. Worth thinking about why that might be, I'm not going to tell you. Um, <laughs> someone else? Yep, yeah, come on. Right, then we get the books of prophecy. These are the major prophets in light green. Um, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, mostly kind of poetic kind of musings on the nature of God. Um, Daniel is much more narrative, although the kind of second half of it is basically kind of the Old Testament, shh, it's basically the Old Testament version of Revelation. 
Um, so that's kind of interesting. We don't really talk about that much. Lamentations is a, a group of poems about how miserable Jeremiah was. That would really fit better with these ones. And in fact, the Jews do put Lamentations with the writings rather than with the prophecies. But we put it next to Jeremiah because he wrote them. Who's next? Come on, someone. An adult will do. Yes? Right, next block. The Minor Prophets. In the Jewish Bible, they're called the Twelve Scrolls. And they were presented as one, they're presented as one work in the Jewish Bibles, but we have them as kind of 12 discrete works. They're mostly poetry, uh, except for Jonah, which we've just looked at, which is a kind of narrative story about what one of the prophets did, rather than the prophetic writings of what the prophets did. They're only minor in the sense that they're shorter than the major prophets. There's nothing less good about their uh, stuff. The prophets together is probably the most difficult material in the Bible, but is really, really rewarding once you dig into it. But it does take a bit of digging around to figure out what's going on there. Who's next? No, you're already holding the Pentateuch. Right. <laughs> Someone else? I'll just start pointing at people. Great, thank you. <laughs> Ian has the Gospels, as ever. Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the first four books here, the Gospels, they're the biography of uh, Jesus. We have four because each one of them wanted to tell us something different about Jesus. So although there's quite a lot of overlap, it's worth getting into the nitty-gritty of what the differences are and why different people have constructed, the, the different writers have constructed them in different ways. Um, that's called uh, redaction criticism. Uh, we also have the book of Acts there, which is about how the movement Jesus started spread outside of Jerusalem and eventually went to the whole world. Right, who's next? This is another big lot. <laughs> Go on. Right, there you are. Those are the letters of Paul, we meet Paul in Acts, as you know, we've just done a series on Acts, so this shouldn't be new to you. He wrote uh, 13 letters, uh, which are these incredible kind of discourses, basically uh, doing exegesis on what Jesus said, trying to figure out what he said and what it meant. Um, incredibly valuable, lots of very famous stuff, we read those all the time. Then you get someone else. Perfect, thank you. You can do the last one. Right, there you go. You get some... There and there are some other letters written by other important people uh, in the Old Testament, in, in the New Testament, including John and Peter, Jesus' disciples. We'll be reading something later, uh, which is one of my favourite verses, where Peter talks about Paul's letters. And it's a really fascinating bit where they kind of cross-pollinating, you know, in the New Testament. You can kind of see the world building up. And finally, I said the book of Daniel. Who's got... You've got Daniel. Book of, no, you've got Daniel. Book of Daniel, uh, the second half, don't worry about it, the second half contains this uh, amazing kind of vision of the future, which is kind of uh, called an apocalypse. And we also have an apocalypse famously in the New Testament. Do you want to come hold that up for me? Book 66, Revelation. At the end there. And what the apocalypses do is they... Based on kind of all of the rest of this stuff, they kind of envisaged... Really, don't worry about it, Ben. <laughs> it's fine. Um, they envisaged this kind of dreamscape 
and use this kind of weird imagery to commentate on contemporary things based on the other biblical writings. And they're very rich in symbolism. Often that symbolism is borrowed from elsewhere. So if you read Revelation, a lot of the kind of angels described in Revelation were first described in Ezekiel there. So we have this huge library of books. (laughs) Don't worry about it. (laughs) We have this huge library of 66 books, which are together tell one story. Next week, we're going to hear what that kind of story is and explore that a bit more. But for now, that's what you need to know about kind of the structure of the Bible. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate it on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will have prosperous, then you will be prosperous and successful. Thank you. So that was written about the Old Testament, and in particular the five books of the law. But I think it speaks for the whole of Scripture. Meditate on it daily. When it says meditate, the word, actual word in Hebrew means like mutter. It's like read it aloud to yourself, think about it every day, go back to bits which you've read before and try and figure out what's going on there. We need to get to know our Bibles. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so you may be careful to do everything written in it. It's really good to talk, isn't it? And when we want to find out about each other, we ask questions, don't we? And we kind of talk to each other and we have conversations and we, you know... If someone says something a bit odd, you go, oh, that's a bit funny. What do you mean by that? And, you know, and that's how we learn about each other. And we find out how we, what we care about and what makes us tick. And that's what we need to do with the Bible. We read the Bible so that we can find out what the Bible cares about, because what the Bible cares about tells us what God cares about. And we read the Bible because when we come up with something odd, like the book of Esther doesn't mention the word God, we go, oh, that's funny. And it makes us dig in deeper and get a deeper, more rich relationship with God and with this uh, amazing book. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The Word of God is alive and active. That's why we can have these conversations. That's why when you return to a passage which you know really well, it says something different. But it also is like a sword. And reading the Bible can be an uncomfortable experience sometimes. We're just going to take a moment to consider what the Bible might be saying to us today and to listen to its conviction. Let's close our eyes in prayer. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have told us what you care about and told us the kind of people you want us to be. And we know that as we read the Bible and become more familiar with the things you care about and who you want us to be, we find that we don't always live up to that standard. And that knowledge can pierce us like a sword. Just hold those things before God for a moment. 
Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Awesome. Thank oh, you. Oh, two more. Um, therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Like I said, I love that passage because uh, when Peter talks about Paul's letters, this is Peter, the first Pope, Jesus' kind of right-hand man. He says, isn't Paul hard to understand? I find that really encouraging. <laughs> um, I used to be a librarian and in a school. And one of the things kids ask you when you're the librarian in a school is, what's your favourite book, Mr. Wadsworth? And I don't really have a favourite book. Um, but then I started thinking about that question, and I thought, well, there's a book which I kind of read most days, and which I have reread more often than any other, and which I've spent time reading other books about. I kind of came to the conclusion that any reasonable analysis of my entire reading life will conclude that the Bible is my favourite book. Why is it my favourite book? Why might it be your favourite book? I've got three kind of just quick reasons that I want to touch on. Firstly is a uh, technical term, meta-narrative. Who knows what meta-narrative is? Big picture, big story, very good. Yeah, it's a story above the story. All of this, as I said on the video, from Genesis to the end of Revelation, is a single story and was designed as a single story and thought of as a single story when it was put into uh, one collection. Next week, we're going to be learning about that. But it's really important. One of the reasons why it's really important to be familiar with the Bible, to be familiar with the, uh, the history of the people of Israel, to know your northern kingdom from your southern kingdom, and to know your exodus from your exile, is because it's telling a story. And if all you ever do is look at the individual sentences, you're never going to see the big picture. Which would be a shame, because the big picture is the story of God's love for his universe. And it would be such a shame to miss out on that because you're spending so much time looking at the little details, the individual verses. Verses, incidentally, were only put into our Bible about 400 years ago. And chapters were about 200 years before that. Those divisions in the Bible aren't original. In fact, as I said before, the book of Samuel and Kings was originally one book. You were supposed to, you were imagined that you were reading that all in one go as this big, long novel. And so all of these divisions stop us seeing that big picture but it's really important that we keep reading our bible and rereading it and reading around it and so that we can see this big picture because when you start to see the big picture you start to see how god works and you you get to understand what we talked about before what god cares about secondly um i can't remember if we're watching this video this there's about 14 in the series on the Bible Project in this, and we're, we're, we've picked four of them that we're doing over the summer. But I really recommend you looking at some of the others. One of the things they talk about is design patterns in the narrative. Who can think of a tree in the Bible? Cedar. Sorry? 
No, no, I mean a specific, like a named tree, like a tree that's part of the plot. You're right, that's a species of tree that's in the Bible. Sorry? A fig tree, yeah. I'm thinking of like a favorite, what's the most famous tree in the Bible? The apple tree in the Garden of Eden, yeah. The first story, you must have read the story of Adam and Eve. (laughs) Please. (laughs) Um, There's a tree in the first book, almost the first story of the first book of the Bible. An apple tree. And there's a tree, there are two trees actually. There's a tree of life and there's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You trot through the Bible in a little way and you find another tree, a tree on which Jesus dies and restores what was broken on the first tree. And then in the last book of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, we see the vision of the city in the future, God's city, God's reign come to earth and there's a tree, the tree of life comes back into the picture. And you see that what started in the beginning is there at the end. And that garden, which God gave us to live in, is the city that we live in at the end. Because a garden is where you work, and a city is where you live together. The Bible expects you to see those things. Think about all the stories where people go through water. Exodus, baptism, the fact that there's a chaotic sea at the beginning of Genesis, out of which the land comes, and then there's no sea at all in Revelation, only the river of life. Think about water changing into wine. Think about Jonah, plunged into the sea and rescued by the fish. The Bible wants you to see all of this stuff. And the more you read, the more you'll spot Okay, Uh, because that's a huge way in which the Bible builds meaning. And that's one of the reasons why you kind of mutter this aloud to yourself every day. Because if you find yourself muttering every day, oh, water, walking through the water, passing through water, what does that mean? Asking these questions of the text. That's why it's so important to read the Bible. Thirdly, reading the Bible is a safeguard on our own spirituality. We read the Bible because it tells us what God cares about. But it also tells us what God isn't so fussed about. There are things which we really focus on, which are only mentioned in one or two verses, and then we miss the fact that basically the only thing the prophets ever say is, why do you exploit the poor? That's one of the main messages of the Bible, is that God always sides with the little guy over the big guy. And I feel like if you, it's really easy to miss that. Because we don't read the prophets so much as we read some of the other books, because they're more difficult. But we need to get into this stuff. And as we read, we'll find out what God cares about. We'll find out what we should care about. And we'll also find out when we're taking one verse and basing a whole theology on it, but actually other bits of the Bible look back on that as something which was where God wasn't. There are terrible atrocities committed in the name of God in the Bible. So the question then becomes, why? What's going on there? What does other parts of the Bible say about it? What are the motifs happening around that which maybe inform the meaning, those design patterns? If someone's doing something terrible and it doesn't mention God at all in the verses around it, maybe that tells you something. Although maybe that's a different thing that it tells you to the Esther thing. This is why it's really important to read the Bible. And all of this works together across 2,000 years 
40 plus authors to tell one beautiful, beautiful love song that God is singing to the universe. My favourite thing anyone's ever said about the Bible, I think, is the Bible is a river in which a toddler can paddle and which an elephant can swim. I really encourage you to read the Bible again and again, mutter it to yourself, and move beyond being a toddler paddling in the shadows, shallows to being an elephant swimming in the depths. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. Brilliant. As I said at the beginning, Psalm 119 is a love poem to the Bible. I highly recommend you read it, um, even if it is a bit long. It's also an extremely sophisticated poem, but uh, mostly in Hebrew, so you don't, that doesn't translate. Uh, they, <laughs> they are the uh, letters of the Hebrew alphabet, and the way the poem is constructed is that each section of the poem, each of the lines begins with that letter of the alphabet. So all of the eight, li- all of the eight sta- uh, kind of couplets in the first verse begin with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and so on right the way through the alphabet. Um, extremely sophisticated structure. It's not the only song which does that, but it is the most complicated one that does.